Welcome to InfoSec Decoded, number 45, Collapse. And we're starting with Caitlin, who is again destroying the world, apparently. Well, good news, everybody. Uh, MIT, back in, the 19, back in 1972, MIT produced a study. Uh, and Motherboard is covering it in this article, written by, uh, oh, I'm going to mess up this person's name, um, Nafiz Ahmed. Anyway, so in 1972, MIT predicted that we could not grow our economy infinitely forever. Like there's going to be a point where we can't grow, you know, any any faster, and there's going to be an economic collapse. And a lot of people blew it off and said, "Oh no, we can just grow our economy forever and ever and ever." Um, but newer looks at 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 our growth have mirrored what the people in 1972 predicted. Um, and apparently um, it's looking like our societal, societal collapse will occur around 2040. Yep, so. because we used up all the resources, right? Which anybody could tell you by just looking at the weather. Right, so it's, it's well, what's gonna happen is that there's gonna be a, a quote unquote, terminal decline of economic growth um, uh, within the coming decade, and at worst, could trigger a uh, societal collapse by 2040. So that's when Texas secedes from the union. Well, that's when everyone's seceding from each other and you know getting their guns and starting little communes. So clearly, so, we could be a prepper. Pretty much, yes. yep. So yes. apparently, there are like ten key variables they were looking at: uh, population, fertility rates, mortality rates. Industrial output, uh, food production, uh, services, non-renewable resources, persistent pollution, human welfare, and ecological footprints. And um, they show, these studies show a halt in growth within a decade or so from where we are at the moment. Yeah, well, you know, I think anybody with any sense like, uh, like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez with her Green New Deal has seen this coming and said, we're gonna have to move from this exponential increase forever to a stable society where we live within our means. And mm -hmm. that's the best outcome. And we'll see how we get there. But, you know, I remember when I was young, I used to freak out about things like this. The end of the world is coming in a few decades. And then I learned that's not what happens. What happens is it's a challenge for every generation to solve their generation's problem. And everybody has some destructive world ending problem to cope with. And then there's another one and another one. That's just how it goes. Yep. Anyway. We will have to, we really need to like stop over expanding and polluting the place and stuff. I think that's pretty obvious by now. Anyway, Urban has got Google with more privacy protections. Uh, yes, Google Chrome is going to start using this HTTPS first mode where you type in a website and it will try to go to HTTP first instead of HTTP. You know, why haven't they been doing that for 20 years now that you mention it? Well, Firefox started doing it in November of 2020. Why would they ever do anything else? You know, now that you mention it. Right. This seems like a no brainer. Right. Well, it's slowly rolling out. So we'll see it in Chrome and on 90. Firefox already has it. But yes, you are totally right. This is a no brainer. Why haven't we been doing this from the start? You know, all the sites, including one of mine, have a redirect from HTTP, HTTPS, and people say that makes it more secure. And I've always complained that makes it less secure. And now that you mention it, it makes no sense, and it never has made any sense. You should try yeah. for HTTPS, 
and only go to HTTP if that fails. Right. It should be the reverse, but no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm better late than never, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Hey, it'll be just in time for uh, the world to collapse. Well, a little bit before that. 10 or 20 years, apparently. We have 10 or 20 years of wild partying before the world collapses. Anyway. Um, all right. Alan's got uh, proof point. Yes. Kim Zetter, longtime investigative journalist and specialist in cybersecurity, has a story and analysis on her Substack page. It's building on a story released by the Washington Post on Tuesday, revealing that the Justice Department had tried to get email records um, from Washington Post reporters so that they could find out who in the Trump administration was leaking classified information to journalists. And interestingly, the way the Justice Department went about this was rather than um, trying to subpoena Gmail, uh, which I believe was the email provider for the Washington Post, they instead went after Proofpoint, which is a cybersecurity company that provides a bunch of different services, but among them, uh, email filtering, uh, filtering for malicious attachments and content uh, in, in emails. And so this is a kind of supply chain attack, if you will, in that rather than going after the, um, after the email provider, they instead went after another entity that also touches those emails. So anyway, um, this is what the, uh, the Department of Justice did under the Trump administration. And frankly, uh, this kind of behavior is not unexpected of the Trump administration. But the fact that they went after Proofpoint rather than Gmail, that is a novelty there. Now, that was under the Trump administration. The Biden administration has made clear that uh, they will not be pursuing this investigation any further. So it's been dropped. Um, however, it does set a dangerous precedent, uh, depending on one's perspective, because this uncovers another supply chain attack, if you will. Um, this, of course, affecting privacy of uh, journalists and their sources. But that's only if you mistrust your government. I mean, they went there with a court order, so everything's fine. Yes, well, right, that court order makes everything okay. And, yeah. you know, um, I don't know, it, it's not 100% clear how this panned out with the Washington Post, but the New York Times also received this from the Department of Justice. And what they did was they successfully slow rolled the DOJ request until the Biden administration came uh, along and then told the, the DOJ to stop the investigation. Mm -hmm. So it appears that the Washington Post buckled early, whereas the New York Times was able to hold them off for a while longer. Yeah, yeah, well, that's... Uh... It's certainly one of those thorny issues. How much should the government be able to get at tracking down journalist sources? Yes. Yeah. I know they can simply demand it from journalists and the journalists have no right to refuse and they can jail them for not handing over their sources. But they do that very seldom. And then the, the journalists are usually celebrated by their colleagues for being principled. Yeah, yeah. So I guess doing it in a sneaky way is a better political move. Anyway, this one I thought was very interesting. Uh, Google has a new update about four new zero days. But the part I thought was interesting is these zero days are obviously being used by sophisticated APT type attackers 
because they would first fingerprint your phone and then decide whether to waste the zero day attacking you, risking it. And they show that there's more zero days than there ever have been, not by a lot, like 32 so far this year, but that there's never been even 30 in a previous year, back to 2014. But the part I thought was very interesting is that three out of the four new zero days are the proof, are the product of commercial zero day generators. These are shops that hack things, find zero days, and then sell them as weapons to the highest bidder. And this is apparently the main way zero days are created now is by shops that just make them to sell them for profit. So it's uh, very much like other guns for sale. And uh, they found two zero days in Chrome and one in Safari and one in Internet, so in Internet Explorer. So it's uh, they're out there, but I think they're expensive. Anyway, I think it's interesting that they're created by private zero day creators now, the number one source of them. Anyway, and then we're back to Caitlin with Netflix. Yes, Bloomberg. I know we're not big fans of Bloomberg here, uh, but they, I, I believe them in, in this article. Uh, Lucas Saw over at Bloomberg has an article talking about how Netflix plans to offer video games in addition to TV and movies moving forward. And this is pretty surprising. This is the first move by one of the major streamers to get into the uh, video game market. And so there's a few other uh, specifically video game oriented live services. And I'm thinking like uh, Google Stadia, which failed. So there's something by Amazon, which failed. Um, there, there's a trend <laughs> with these online uh, game Netflix types type things. Um, they, they all fail. Uh, but Netflix thinks it'll be different. I mean, Steam is enormous, right? They totally so Steam, so yes, yeah, Steam is different. Steam is not a uh, subscription service. So you actually buy the games and then you play them and you download them. Uh, okay. The way that these online services work, like Stadia, is that you rent them and then you play over the internet and you stream the images from the screens that are being rendered on the servers to your computer. Well, that sounds like your bad internet connection would follow up the game. Oh, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Supposedly, if you have a good internet connection though, it's, it's a pretty good experience, um, but most people do prefer to actually have the games on their systems. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see where Netflix goes with this um, and if it'll be successful because in, in technology um, and really any business uh, in the field, you really need to grow, right? You need to expand its new areas. And you know it seems like Netflix kind of reached its peak in terms of what it was initially setting out to do. And so I guess the new frontier that it wants to move into is video games, which means that now our uh, service providers for content is also gonna be streaming computer code onto our devices, which will be very interesting for security. Yes, sounds like good, clean fun. Hopefully that stuff will be all signed and stuff and secured by the blockchain or some other- Ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> good one, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Security feature. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, and Windows 11 in the cloud is what Urban's got, which I heard about. This actually sounds like a pretty good idea. So I knew this was coming. I saw this from a mile away that Windows would, uh, that Microsoft would finally offer Windows as a subscription. So right, so the plan is to offer it for businesses. It'll be Windows 365 Business and Enterprise. Yeah. where it's it's just like uh, our cloud setups, 
where a, uh, anybody would request a Windows box and they would get access to it and you disconnect, reconnect later, continue your session. Uh, it's built with those people who are working from home in mind and running everything from Azure, of course. Yeah. It's going to start August 2nd. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Virtual desktop on Azure is something a lot of companies want. Mm-hmm. So and, that's, it's finally here, Windows in the cloud. And just like we, we've been teaching classes all week and discovered the same thing I found increasingly, people have trashy old computers and everything has to be in the cloud. If you want them to actually do anything, it's best to just put it in the cloud. Mm-hmm. It makes so a lot of sense. So now you'll be able to get a subscription for that to work, to work, work. Yeah. Because, uh, in fact, the current you currently can do this. You can deploy Windows 10 desktops virtually in Azure, but apparently it's hard to set up. And I presume if you paid for this, it would become a point-and-click experience to get it. That's the idea, yes. Yeah, I think that'll be a popular service. All right. And uh, Alan's got Tennessee. Tennessee is leading the country in COVID vaccinations or COVID vaccination policy. Yes. This, according to Brett Kelman at the Tennessean, broke a story about how the Tennessee Department of Health is taking the lead in stopping all adolescent vaccine outreach in the state of Tennessee. And they have also fired, as of Monday, the lead um, state health department vaccine, uh, uh, I've forgotten her title, but the, the head of the vaccine outreach program at yep. the the Tennessee De uh, Department of Health. Yeah. And um, under this, this, uh, this, I don't know, pressure campaign by Republican lawmakers in Tennessee, the State Department of Public Health can no longer target teenagers for any kind of vaccine communication. And not just COVID vaccine information, but any kind of vaccine information. So we really are at this point reaching peak uh, anti-vax and QAnon because um, the rationale given for not communicating vaccine information to teenagers is because, quote, that could be, quote, potentially interpreted as solicitation to minors as in sexual solicitation. Oh. So I'm not making this up. Quote, potentially interpreted as solicitation to minors. <laughs> well, I thought the point Somebody was, has uh, in Tennessee, it's legal for 14-year-olds to get a vaccine without their parents' permission, but they don't want to encourage that. Well, exactly, yes. And if, apparently, according to a 38-year-old ruling by the Tennessee Su State Supreme Court, it is okay for adolescents to go and get a vaccine without their parents' direct permission. But um, for whatever reason, the Republican Party uh, in Tennessee is now backtracking on that and yeah. is obviously very forcibly... Um, uh, I don't know if what you can call it, but they're they're pushing back against the the Department of Public Health's efforts to actually actually get the word out and to actually do vaccines. And this is a this is a relatively new problem because um, before the pandemic, ninety five percent of Tennessee sixth graders were fully vaccinated for your usual polio, measles, mumps, rubella, et cetera, et cetera. And so it seemed like a pretty broadly accepted bipartisan concept vaccinations. But thanks to the pandemic and the previous federal administration, 
it appears that this has now become highly politicized. And so now, um, well, I, I guess kids just aren't supposed to get vaccinated in Tennessee. Yep. And I think Republicans aren't supposed to get vaccinated anywhere. I think more than half of them are refusing to get vaccinated. It is very, it's an interesting issue of politics and psychology. I mean, yes. Yeah. It's become profoundly politicized at this point. And, you know, they're all willing to like jump off this cliff just to be in the herd, which is something I've heard people say, people are not rational thinkers. They are social thinkers. They just conform to their group. And obviously that is true. Now more than ever, clearly. At least it's more obvious now than ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it is it is fascinating and horrifying to watch the collapse of America for no good reason. You know, I would like to think we would collapse because we ran out of resources or we got invaded by somebody. But no, we decided to just tear ourselves apart for no apparent reason whatsoever. Well, what amazes me is that uh, relatively abstract concepts like uh, climate change or... Um, uh, I don't know, peak oil or uh, reduced access to various natural resources. Those are very difficult concepts for people to respond to. But you would think a pandemic of all things that has immediate and clear consequences to people's well-being, that would get people motivated. But no, uh, I guess not. Well, they're motivated. They're just motivated in the wrong yeah, direction. Um, right, <laughs> motivated in the wrong ways. It's, I know, I, I think... Many PhD theses are going to be written analyzing exactly what happened to America. This is very strange and not what I would have thought. Well, anyway, yeah. the Fed chairman says the U.S. might take a digital currency, and that would be the end of Bitcoin and Tether. And boy, I wouldn't cry about Tether. But he said, you know, if there was an official U.S. digital dollar, then you wouldn't need Tether and you probably wouldn't need Bitcoin either. Although I think you might be wrong about the Bitcoin part because the US federal currency would probably not be very useful for money laundering, which is the only thing Bitcoin is good for anyway. But anyway, you know, China's gonna have a digital currency. El Salvador is gonna to switch to Bitcoin. Many other people are looking into digital currencies and it seems inevitable that the US will have one. They haven't officially announced it yet, but I think several big investment companies are totally going into digital currency. It's coming which is why I'm encouraging students to learn how to program it and secure it. And for God's sake, don't invest in it so we can sell shovels to these poor idiots going to die digging up the gold. Um, none of it makes a lick of sense in case anybody cares. But just like the last topic we were discussing, the fact that it makes no sense doesn't seem to matter at all. So we're going to live in a world of blockchain and of uh, many cryptocurrencies and not much vaccine. So we might as well just adapt to it and sell these people hamburgers and shovels as they gleefully march off to their doom. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's my theory about it. Uh, and Caitlin has got another Solarman's hack. Now, not another one, right? Well, no, no. So this is another hack by the Solarwinds hackers. So the group that did Solarwinds, our technical has an article by Dan um, Gooden. Mm -hmm. um, talking about how the Russian group, what are they called, the SVR, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, which was responsible for the SolarWinds hacks, uh, also has some iOS zero days that they've been using on LinkedIn, apparently. They've been sending people messages and links on LinkedIn, and they've been taking over people's phones. I don't know the specifics of the zero day or what they're exploiting, but apparently if you go to a link, uh, you can exploit some people's iPhones. And 
Yeah, no, zero days are just exploding. Um, and I, we already mentioned in this podcast, but there's just this huge market now for people that just want to buy zero days. And, you know, there are private companies willing to sell to the highest bidder. I, I shouldn't even say companies, just individuals, uh, nefarious individuals who all pay to the highest bidder. So it, it's no longer an issue of technical prowess to have a zero day. You don't need to have a team of researchers on your side. You just need to have resources. So if you have the money to just buy a zero day now, apparently you can. So is this, uh, did they attack the US? Is this violating, you know, Biden supposedly went and told Putin, all right, knock it off or else. And is this already violating it or what? So I don't know exactly when this happened. Um, so this was published on Wednesday uh, on, on Google that they said it was likely a Russian government backed actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know when they were sending the messages or when it started, when this campaign started. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think all Biden's threats are pretty much empty anyway. We really yeah. can't start a cyber war with Russia because we, we have most of the targets over here. Anyway, all right. And uh, Irvin's got big tech. Uh, Big tech doesn't want the FTC chair to be there. Uh, She has been uh, speaking out against them for a while. And now they're the the big groups like Amazon and and, uh, who else was it? Oh, Facebook. They're, They're all trying to put motions in place to kick her out of that chair. Because they know that with with her there, uh, they'll she's going to rule against them and and bring down bring down the hammer on them. They're trying to do everything they can to avoid that from happening. Well, she'll probably try, but the FTC and the FCC are have limited power that keeps getting cut back by courts. But anyway, that's my alma mater. I was a contractor at the FTC at one time, and the only thing they did when I was there was make sure that you lived up to the terms you claimed. And that you didn't run a pyramid scheme. It was mostly pyramid schemes. Mm-hmm. But uh, now we're well, talking about breaking up big tech, but I highly doubt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're scared enough to be doing things to stop her rather than just shrugging her off. Well, yeah. All right. They're, they're maneuvering. Yeah, they're maneuvering. So to me, I'm like, okay, she's actually a threat then. Well, yeah. Might be nice if somebody would limit the abuses of big tech, and the FTC is one possible way it might happen. All right, and Alan's got a driverless car sharing service. Yes, Halo Cars is going to be introducing a new service to Las Vegas. They're going to have five vehicles where you can summon a vehicle to wherever it is you are, just like you would with Uber or Lyft. However, that car arrives without a driver. And so once it gets to you, you can sit in the driver's seat and drive it as you would your very own car, you get to your destination, get out, and then the car drives off all by itself. However, this is not autonomous driving. The way this works is that there is a person who can control the vehicle remotely. Like a drone. Like a drone, exactly. And so the whole idea is that Uh, T-Mobile, which has invested into this company, is going to leverage 5G mobile broadband and stream uh, video from cameras mounted to the vehicle. And then this Halo operation is going to have 
their clone, or excuse me, their drone operators who will then drive the vehicles to customers. So and, what's the benefit of this? Well, I guess the idea is that um, you get some of the benefits of uh, a service where people don't need to own a car. And so they can just hail a vehicle, but then do the driving themselves. But then Halo themselves is not responsible for killing the occupant of that vehicle when an accident inevitably occurs. Wait, now, well, oh, hold on. What they, was inevitable about that? Wait a minute. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just my interpretation. But um, <laughs> incidentally, they claim that they will also be able to. What's that? Have you considered a career in advertising, marketing? Well, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> well, let me let me give you some more of the hard sell here. Apparently, they also have technology that enables them to detect if the customer, the driver, the, the customer who hailed the vehicle and is now driving the vehicle, if they are inebriated. That's and a good idea, can, especially in Vegas. Yes, yes. So they can cut that person off somehow. I don't know. Pull the, the vehicle over to the side of the road or whatever. But uh, we still have the issue of these remote operators of the cars. And there's a picture in this Fast Company article, in fact, that shows a, one of these super wide curved monitors, the, the, the kind that's popular with first person shooter games nowadays. Neat. And you can see that there are three cameras um, streaming to this operator. And he's got a... Uh, got a steering wheel there and it looks like a pretty good driving setup you know for racing sims uh but you know now you're gonna have people doing this work so, so why doesn't the remote driver just drive it all the time well you one wonders one wonders i wonder a lot of things well i think <laughs> the only advantage of this is you could say you're not going to catch covid because there's no driver in there you'll be all yeah. alone and we yeah, yeah, should between side or something but you know this is true, but I have to think that uh, this is just an intermediate step for the company and that it's like a proof of concept at this point. They're going to prove that these remote operators are capable of piloting the cars and they don't kill too many pedestrians along the way. And at some point, Las Vegas being Las Vegas, which apparently is very permissive when it comes to self-driving uh, or remote driving vehicles, they're going to approve this model of not AI powered, but remote driver powered um, vehicle piloting. You know, I, I was thinking the way they saved money was this guy is driving five of them at once. That would be awesome. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and the other thing is, what do you do when it loses its internet connection? Yes. Well, I think that's where T-Mobile's on the hook. Now, <laughs> they claim- Oh, that's real that, reassuring. Yeah, I know. I know. T-Mobile, not, not the best operator out there. They claim, T-Mobile does, that, and, and Halo claim that it's okay if it temporarily gets bumped down to 4G. Temporarily. Oh. Well, that's okay, but what if it just cuts out entirely? Entirely. Well, then I imagine there's a bit of an issue. So, <laughs> uh, and there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no backup system in place. These vehicles do not have LiDAR installed. So they are wholly dependent on either person driving in the vehicle or having a remote operator. This just keeps sounding better and better as you keep explaining it. 
You know, well, it reminds me of nuclear submarines where they say, if you lose contact with the base, just continue to obey the last order you received. <laughs> yeah, just blow right through those stop signs. That's and, right. <laughs> you know, what's the harm in that? Yeah. Um, but there is a precedent for this technology. Uh, there's this company called um, Kiwi, Kiwi Bots, and they were delivering burritos in Berkeley using these cute little, little, little devices, little robots that were claimed to be 100% uh, autonomous. Yeah, but, I remember uh, those things. They look like rolling trash cans. Yeah, well, no, they're, they're, they're much smaller than that. Uh, but it turned out that these vehicles were actually being remote piloted by a team of people um, in Colombia. And that, uh, I don't know, somehow they, you know, that they made this work. Not all that well. I actually saw one uh, operating in Berkeley and the thing was ran into a person and was going on the grass and got kind of hung up on the, the edge of the sidewalk and the grass. And so... <laughs> You know, a few years ago, this happened for a whole lot of AI devices that could play chess and stuff. And then they found there was a person hiding in there and it was all fake. Right. The mechanical Turk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but the, what's revolutionary about Halo is that they're not even trying to hide it. They're being yeah. very upfront about it. And I don't know. I think it's almost more trustworthy than the AI. Almost. Well, I would think a person would be able to drive better than an AI, but I don't know. Well, all right. But if they, but if they lose connection, that's the scary part. If yeah. and when they lose connection. Progress marches on. <laughs> I'll have to get one of those in Vegas. I'll give that a, all the consideration it is due. And uh, so the last one here is the COVID in Vegas. A bunch of people are freaking out and saying they're not going to DEF CON after all. COVID is spiking. Vegas is up to 11% positivity. Everyone's getting the Delta variant. But you know, then they say the hospital workers, even if they're vaccinated, they're getting it. But you know, it's the same thing they said all along. Even if you're vaccinated, you can technically get it in that you test positive on a test, but you don't get sick. You don't go to the hospital. You don't die. And you probably don't even have enough of it to spread it. So it seems to me like uh, we are justified in going to Vegas where we can cheerfully have our DEF CON as long as we're willing to just laugh at the people dropping dead around us and mock at them instead of feeling sorry for them. We'll be fine. That's my interpretation. Um, so business as usual. Well, well, you know, uh, it's kind of a new thing that so many of our people just want to commit suicide around us, but I think we just need to adapt to it as the new normal. Um, and I got some fun insults on Twitter from it. One that I thought might fit on a t-shirt, but I already forgot. I'm like stupid and uh, heartless or something. I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. Stupid and heartless, that's about right. Anyway. Um, would have made a good title for the episode too. But anyway, so that's it for this one. And next week, I think we're back to our regular schedule, which is Tuesday morning. So have a good weekend, folks.